welcome to the Female Athlete Project. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist in rugby sevens. And because I have commitment issues, I've played two other sports at professional level. The last two seasons, I've played for Carlton in the AFLW, and prior to that, played for the Sydney Uni Flames in the Women's National Basketball League. I'm currently training full-time with the Australian Rugby Sevens team in preparation for the now Tokyo 2021 Olympics. One of my favourite things to do is to head down to the beach, grab a coffee and the paper, flick to the back page and read about sport. I've had enough of only reading stories about men's sport, so I decided to do something about it. One day, female athletes will be recognised by their achievements, not by their gender. Until then, I'm going to chat to and share the stories of epic Aussie female athletes. This episode is brought to you by Workplace Law. The team at Workplace Law are incredible supporters of Australian female athletes, navigating through player contracts and sponsorship agreements, crisis management and legal representation. Their goal is to ensure that female athletes have access to all of these services, regardless of their financial situation. If you want to find out more about their amazing work, head to workplacelaw.com.au. This episode's guest is Australian middle distance runner Jess Hull. Whilst a lot of us have been stuck inside during 2020, Jess has had an incredible running season, breaking the Australian record in both the 1500 metres and the 5000 metres. She's qualified for her first Olympics in Tokyo and is currently a Nike professional athlete. Jess has a massive future ahead of her. What I love most were her insights about how she focuses on what is happening in the here and now and how she pushes through in moments of wanting to give up. I hope you enjoy it. Jess Hull, welcome to the Female Athlete Project. Thanks, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Firstly, welcome home. You've recently been overseas and you've just uh, come home, finished your quarantine and have been back with family down in the gong. How's that been, being back home? Oh, it's so nice to come home. Even when you're in the go away for a few months, like I'm used to kind of being away for a lot longer and uh, maybe given what the world's facing this year, it might have been even nicer to come home. And um, it's a bit uh, kind of anticlimactic when you land in Australia and then you're, you're not home yet. Uh, that was a bit different this year going into the quarantine, but um, it was nice to know I was on Australian soil and even nice to know I was in New South Wales. When you kind of looking at ways to get home, it was like, well, I might be better to go to Brisbane, uh, might be better to go to Perth, but knowing I was in New South Wales and close to home was good. <laughs> yeah, nice. And how did you go in the two weeks stuck in a hotel yeah. room? It was different, um, different way to spend your end of season break. Like usually we would try to do different kind of things that I don't do when I'm in full training, like a um, bit more like outdoor stuff and walking around and spending time on my feet that I, I try not to do in training. So to be confined to the hotel room was different, but uh, that's just 2020 and um, quarantine wasn't too bad. I think I got through 10 days and then I was starting to get a bit antsy but um first week was kind of just get over jet lag and then try and pass the days and not count them down because that made it feel longer so just kind of day by day routine and got through it and what is the next uh, couple of months looking like um you've you've just finished your season we'll get on to that you've had a pretty incredible season overseas um, what does the next couple of months look like for you being back home? Yeah, well, for at the moment, kind of a little unknown because I'm not too sure when I can get back to the US to normal training. Um, so I'm planning to be here at least until the new year mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll kind of reassess come January. But hopefully 
I'll just get my base work in over the next seven weeks or so. So it's a bit of a grind when you you start from nothing again. Uh, But that's the fun part. It makes you appreciate the fitness once you're there. Um, So yeah, just base training, building the mileage slowly, kind of hit December and I'll be at my full volume again, uh, full intensity in the weight room. And I'll spend about that four weeks being pretty sore and pretty tired until I get used to it again. And then um, January, probably either go to the US and go to altitude or I'll stay here and maybe try and find some altitude out here if I if I can't get back to the US yet but uh we'll just play it by one month at a time yeah okay what does that altitude training look like and how often do you use um use that as a form of training yeah so I have actually only been once before I went last year before the world championships and I found running the 1500 it might not make a difference to your race specifically, but it was the recovery afterwards. So after the heat, I had about 23 hours until the next round and I stepped onto the track through the next round and didn't even feel like I'd run the day before. So I think it really helped with recovery in between rounds for the 15. And then if I'm stepping up to the five next year, I think it will actually start to take place in the race as well. So yeah, recovery and then hopefully the aerobic side as I get longer distances. Oh, that's awesome. Where do you look to go in Australia if you're going to do altitude training? Yeah, well, there is a couple of spots. Um, Falls Creek is the standard running spot. Like a lot of athletes go up there over Christmas and the New Year period. Um, downside to that is there's no track up there. So you're doing a lot off the track and on the trails. So not too measurable really thing, just like effort-based. Um, or there is Kosciuszko, uh, which you kind of base yourself in Jindabyne and there's a there's a turf surface track up there. So a bit different, but um, yeah, there's at least a 400-meter circuit to kind of gauge your fitness off. Um, and then if I was in the US, we would go to Flagstaff is the, is the plan. Uh, going back to, to when you were a little kid, when was it that you first decided that you wanted to be a runner? I don't know that I decided. I think it kind of found me, which is um, strange. But uh, yeah, I did my primary school cross country carnival and I was like the year below the girl who had won the previous year. And um, it was the same age group though, because you know how some people are younger in school. And um, I finished ahead of her and everyone was kind of like, wow, you beat like such and such. And I was like, I just ran like don't think it's that big of a deal and then um I went to the zone carnival and I think I qualified for regionals and that that year but kind of thing was um I just started running with my dad in the mornings like he would always run and he would sort of let me do two k's of his run with him so he'd take me out and then drop me back home and then he'd keep going and I don't know I think I just really enjoyed that so we kept going with it (laughs) that's really cool and I read that your dad was a big part of of your running growing up and he was your coach and a a really big motivator for you. What was that relationship like? Yeah, he was great. He sort of laid the foundation in a lot of things for me, like mentality, physically, everything. But um, yeah, it's this really special relationship. And um, I think that the best part now is like, he just truly understands. Like if I say I did this in a workout, like he can like say, like he has good feedback. And if I, if I'm struggling a bit like we have the good relationship where like you can you can hear it from your dad that okay you got to work on something yeah yeah. um yeah so I think like we have a lot he has a lot of respect for what I do and like I respect his opinions because I know he knows what he's talking about so but um yeah he knows how to play the dad role too so (laughs) he can separate coach and he can be dad when you need dad (laughs) yeah yeah family knows how to tell it like it is a lot of the time (laughs) um and in 2015 you headed over to the United States um, and you went to run in college in Oregon. 
Um, I'm a little bit jealous about this one. I grew up playing <laughs> basketball and I always wanted to go over to college and play over there because I think the whole experience looks incredible. Um, did you enjoy it? And, and what do you think you got out of, of that experience over there? Yeah, I loved it. The NCA is just crazy for all sports. They just do such a good job of kind of showing you what it can be like to be a professional athlete while you're at university, basically. And um, I think the biggest thing I got over there was how to be like part of a team. Um, team culture is massive over there. And even in such an individual sport was uh, kind of you're still running for more than yourself because even though your result is for your individual race, um, the points add up for the overall team. So I think that was kind of what it taught me was how to bring teamness into teaminess into an individual sport. And um, I think I still look for that now, even though my teammates now run for different countries um, and do different events and not many of us actually overlap, um, but you can still draw like the positives out of a team when you're like, when you look for them. What's that dynamic like when you're training against each other as teammates, but then going out on the track and you might compete against each other? Is that, is that tricky sometimes or is that just part of the process of, of being a runner? Yeah, I think it's it's probably what you make it. I think for us it's kind of been um, – I've been lucky in that the training partners I've had and myself have always kind of seen it in a positive light is like uh, there's room for all of us at the top and um, like there is one winner but there's room for everyone to like perform to their best. And um, I think that's kind of how we've always looked at it is like we're helping each other get better and like if I can – get dropped by my German training partner, Coco. She is incredible. And I'm like, well, if I, the closer I am to her, the closer I am to the rest of the world. And then um, my other training partner, Shannon Ravry, she's an American. She has so much experience. And I think um, our dynamic has been really good because she is willing to share her experiences with me. But um, we both know that we're better training together than we would be if we were, were separate which was kind of the case this year with COVID. We had to make do on other sides of the world. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, and so Shannon's 36 years old and a yeah. three-time Olympian, yeah. also a mother who's come back to, to run. Um, it's cool to see the, the relationship between the two of you. What do you think you've learned from her as an older athlete about what, um, what she can teach you in terms of training and your body and, and her mental preparation, which is obviously pretty impressive? Yeah, it's it, all-around athlete like she's a plus for everything she does um I think the biggest thing every time she talks I feel like I need to write down what she (laughs) has said and like store it away for later but um no I just know from from Shannon herself and then my coaches around me because they have worked with Shannon for eight plus years now they kind of just say like she's always done everything right and you can see it now is at 36 she's still running as as well as she ever has and um prioritizing recovery, knowing her body, even just down to little things like uh, I got a bit of a more of an insight this summer being together for five plus weeks of racing um, in between the races and in between the workouts. Like she just knows what her body needs to recover, whether that's like modifying something in the gym or like taking the run a little bit easier or knowing when to do strides or when to like add in an extra like Pilates session or something like she just knows how to listen to her body. And I like obviously she's learned that over the years, but she's so willing to to kind of share. Like she, especially coming off the 5K in Monaco, was able to kind of give me a lot more insight into why I felt so bad for nine days okay. <laughs> afterwards because um, yeah. she's been there and she's done that. And uh, yeah, she's just uh, willing to give me as much advice as she can that she's had along the way. Yeah, wow. I wanted to um, play you an audio clip uh, taking you back to 2018 
um, the NCAA championships. I think oh, you're in front yeah. of a home crowd. Yeah, yeah. There goes Hall, and she will be buoyed by this crowd. Alan or Curry are trying to starting to pay the price for leading. It's Jessica Hall. Boy, would this do a lot for Oregon's t- team title hopes. I don't see anybody able to cover this move. Nikki Hiltz on the outside trying to get there. She's going to run out of real estate. Hull's going to win it. Hull's second. So you took out the national title in the 1500 metres um, in front of that home crowd. It's cool even just watching your face listening back to that. I'm sure it brings back a lot of memories. How did that feel winning that one and in front of a home crowd as well? Yeah, it was crazy. I think um, all year is kind of like a build up to just like a little bit better each race and then suddenly it was like I was in position to maybe contend for the win and um I think my coach knew it and my dad knew it my family were over there and um both my dad and Marisa had kind of just said to me like why not you like this is your chance like you've got as good a chance as um Ellie Poria and Nikki Holtz uh, the women in that field and um I think that was the best thing they could have said they never told me anything like direct of like you need to sit in third or fourth um it was just like why not you so when the opportunity was there I wasn't afraid to take it because they'd kind of opened the door for me to kind of if it was there like make the most of it and then I think I was just like so shocked with 10 meters to go that I was still in front that's amazing <laughs> yeah, you can see that on my face it's just like <laughs> that was uh after the race because um mom and dad were in the back straight in Hayward it's pretty historic the old stadium and um, dad said he'd watched the camera that was on the front bend and he seen my face and he was like, at that point, I knew you had it because you were just like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's really cool. What is that kind of headspace like? I had, I had a coach recently say to us, we were playing in a semifinal for rugby and um, the pregame speech was all about, we're playing a pretty big and tough opposition and the pregame speech was, you're going to go to some dark places in this game and you've got to be able to get yourself out of that hole and keep performing for your teammates. What do you find? I'm sure that in your training in particular and in races, you probably go to some dark places and you feel like you're stuck (laughs) in a hole. I'd love to know um, what you like, what your talk to yourself is like. And if you have any, any techniques or anything to, to keep pushing yourself at that, at that intensity. Yeah, absolutely. Like in the middle of mile repeats or something when you just want to stop or if you've gone out a little ambitiously and you just don't quite know what's going to happen. I kind of always just go back to my last 12 months has kind of been uh, keep your head where your feet are. So if you're like, that works if you're hurting and it works if you're like feeling okay and you're kind of nervous about what's coming is just um, keeping your head where your feet are, like that rep, that lap or wherever you are in that point in time. Um, And then I was big this year on when I was over in Europe was just stay connected and um, stay composed kind of thing. So whether that was staying mentally connected to where I was in the race or physically hanging on to the pack and not getting dropped. um, Yeah, being connected and keeping my head where my feet were. I really like that. I feel like for a lot of people, it's obviously been a really difficult year, like even taking that out of a sport context. Like I know for me, there's so much anxiety around what's going to happen next. Like everything feels very out of our control and it's so easy to get caught up in like what's going to happen moving forward but I yeah I really like that keep your head where your feet yeah, are I'm going to yeah. use that that's it does cool. work yeah. outside of sport too yeah. yeah when we don't know what next week looks like yeah <laughs> that's really cool now for a quick halftime break as a female athlete it's often difficult to negotiate contracts lock in sponsorship agreements and navigate different workplace issues the team at Workplace Law provide mentoring and advice when it comes to addressing issues that may arise throughout your career 
I'm learning a lot from their team and love having them on board as proud partners of the Female Athlete Project. So after your college career, you've um, now become a professional athlete with Nike. Um, a lot of individual athletes back home probably struggle funding-wise and things like that, and it's so incredible that you have this chance to, to be an athlete and to do what you love. Um, what do you think that enables you to do as a runner, um, having that opportunity? Yeah, it's kind of crazy that I get to do this as my job. I'm sure you feel the same sometimes. Yes, it's like absolutely. We get to go to all different parts of the world and just like do what we love. Um, so I think just being able to be like fully immersed in like getting the most out of myself is just going to allow me to get to the point where I never look back and think what if kind of thing, like making the most of being able to put the work in every day as and not seeing it as a job. I think if you see it as a job, you start to resent it. But uh, seeing it as like an option that you get to do this and now you're lucky to be financially supported to do this. Um, it's not like I, I have to do this because someone's paying me to do it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, looking at Tokyo next year. Um, you've qualified for your very first Olympics. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Was that something as a kid that you always wanted to achieve or was that something that just kind of came along the way? Yeah, I definitely think I always wanted to go to the Olympics. Um, but I think you kind of are very naive when you're like 12 years old and you're like, I want to go to the Olympics one day. Um, and then you don't realize kind of how much work is going to go into it to get you there. So I think around my late teens, you start to realize that it's not just an overnight thing. Um, so I don't think the dream ever wavered, but just like it took, it took a lot more work than you probably think when you're a little kid than it's going to (laughs) take. Yes. And looking at the schedule for Tokyo, um, the 1500 meter and the 5k are on the same day. Um, so does that mean you then have to obviously make a decision between the two events? Yeah, yeah. I have to make a decision for at least for next year. Um, and then I'm hoping over the next cycle they won't overlap. They kind of go back and forth. So hopefully in 2024 I won't have to make a decision, but for next year I will. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> is that something that you leave kind of to the last minute like what's the process with when you can decide which which event you're going for I think with our federation we'll have until around June to decide um if if it was this year it probably would have been June um because that's when they'll they'll kind of put the final selections forward uh so I can wait until June but I'm pretty sure Pete will have a fair idea early on next year and his training will direct me towards one of them um and then we'll just kind of wait and see once I get some early season races in of like what's paid off and what might need a little more work and where we're kind of sitting. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. So a segment that I do each week on the podcast is a question from my grandma and a question from a five-year-old. Oh, cool. <laughs> so the first question is from five-year-old Frida. Hi, Jessica. Do you ever get nervous before you do a big race? I do. I definitely get really nervous. <laughs> I think um, back in, I think my probably my worst nerves ever came when I was a kid. I used to be one of the kids that stood on the start line, actually like literally throwing up because I was nervous. And I think a lot of people probably unlooked and were like, how are her parents allowing her to do this? If like <laughs> It makes her that stressed. But it was literally like I wanted to be there, but I would get so nervous that that was the end result. Um, so now I think it's more of a celebration when race day rolls around I definitely get nervous and I get like tense and antsy but um nowadays I think I get more like excited to kind of show the work that I've done in training and I think 
that's been a bit of a luxury these last few years because I've been young and I haven't really been the one that's expected to win. Um, but I think as I get more established on the world stage and kind of start to like, I have high expectations on myself, but if I start to get, um, more outside expectations, I expect the nerves are going to be something I'm going to have to learn to work through again. Like I did when I was a kid. (laughs) You talk about being a a younger runner. What is like prime age of, of a runner? Yeah. So on the women's side, like 26, 27. Um, but nowadays we're seeing so much longevity, like Shannon's running as good as ever at 36 so I'm like if I can be running like that in 12 years time like I'm going to be extremely happy with the longevity of my career so um I know Pete's idea for me is 2024 is kind of where we're looking to be at our absolute best so the training for the next few years is all curated around that um but even 2028 in LA like if I can keep uh kind of on the same track like I know I can be better again in 2028 and that'll I'll be 32 then so um, well, I'll be 31 probably when the games are on. Um, so I don't know. I think we're kind of rewriting that right now is typically it's been 26, 27, but now it's kind of seeing a push towards like late twenties, early thirties. And if you want to be a marathoner, like, uh, we have a Melbourne woman, uh, Sinead Diver, who she's 41 or 42 and she's encroaching on the Australian record, which is crazy. So yeah, I don't know that age is really a limiting factor anymore, which is kind of cool. That's incredible. Yeah. It's it's very impressive to think that people can still maintain that level of, of training and performance at that yeah. age. Yeah, and like their bodies. Like, and sometimes I say now, I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know. Sometimes it takes me like 15, 20 minutes to feel okay on a run. And I'm like, it's going to just start taking longer and longer every year. (laughs) And I end up to the point where I have a whole run where I just don't get into a groove at all. (laughs) Never start to feel okay. Yeah, it's like everything hurts. (laughs) I like to see the way that it's so planned out. Like even the fact that you're talking about 2028 is quite incredible. It's obviously a really long way to plan. How do you break that goal down then? say looking at Tokyo, if you're looking to, to peak in 2024, what what do the goals look like for heading into Tokyo for you? So for Tokyo, um, I think this year the goal would have been to make the final in whichever event I was in. Um, and then with an extra 12 months and now this European season behind me, it, it definitely gets a bit higher. Like I want to be a top eight finisher in whichever rate, the 15 or the five. And that's not easy in either distance at all. Um, so I think the extra year kind of gave me the experience I need to not just be like, okay, I just want to make the final. It's like, no, now I want to make the final and I want to have a piece of the final. Um, and then I guess coming off the Olympics, the, the goal is just to have as much experience and um, know that I, I can compete with the women, not just in the Diamond League and on the one-day meets um, kind of through the rounds and learn how to navigate different situations because mm-hmm. you might get a 410 race that, kicks down the last 400 and that hasn't typically been my strength but learning how to race different styles in championship settings and keep my calm out there is is going to be a big piece to having the success later on that we're we're looking for yeah amazing on to the next question from granny hi jessica i love walking every day because i love being active and close to nature what do you love about running? That's great that she walks every day. <laughs> She's very active. She loves yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I think I just love the fact that you can get kind of lost out there. Like you just run along and um, it's kind of, you always feel better after a run than if you do if you didn't get out and do it. Um, sometimes you might dread it getting out the door, but you will always feel better afterwards. And um, 
it just always clears my mind kind of thing, whether it's like I, I just don't realize that it's going to help me that day or whatnot. But um, you finish off and you just feel a lot better about yourself and having got it done. And I guess like a hard track workout, it's like that sense of accomplishment afterwards that uh, keeps you rolling through the training cycle definitely is a big, big piece to it. Yeah, nice. Looking at your 2020 season, you've had an incredible year. Thank you. Um, You've broken the Australian records for both the 1500 metre and the 5K. Um, (laughs) Or area records or Australian records? I think so the 1500 was the area and the 5K was the Australian. Yeah. And so when we talk area, does that include Oceania area? Yeah, Yeah. like New Zealand, some of the Pacific Islands. Yeah. 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 (laughs) An incredible achievement. So for the 1500 metre, you ran it in four minutes – 0.42. 0.42. Is that how you say that? Yeah, four flat 42. Four flat kind of 42. Right, That'd be there's like the, the lingo. Way to say <laughs> okay, it. okay, cool. All right. Um, um, pretty incredible and cool to see um, a lot of Australian athletes getting behind you as well. I saw Sally yeah. Pearson on, on Twitter was getting behind you and encouraging you to go sub four minutes. Yeah. Um, but an incredible time and an incredible achievement. What did that feel like to, to run that one? Yeah, the 15, because it's been my event since I was young. Like we started running it at 10 at Little Athletics. Um, I think I've always kind of circled that one. And um, this year I definitely, I raced at the Prefontaine Classic for the first time last year. And I kind of had that penciled as my like, okay, that's where I want to break the Aussie record when it's back on my home track. For, um, it's held at the University of Oregon each year. And last year it just wasn't because um, they were renovating. So I was like, oh, I'll pencil it in mm-hmm. <laughs> this year. Yeah. Um, and then COVID hit and you're kind of like, well, that changes all those plans. So I think uh, it wasn't um, necessarily the focus of training in COVID. But once we knew that we could get overseas, I... I really was gunning to get that one because I was like, it's been the longest standing one that I've been chasing for and um, never would have thought I could pick up the 5K along the way prior. But um, I was very, it's awesome to, to actually do it in Berlin in an old Olympic stadium. Yeah, amazing. Very, very cool. I wanted to ask about the pacemakers in a yeah, race. Yeah, okay. Um, how, does, how do they get, who is it? How do they get chosen for that role? Um, and yeah, can you explain a little bit for people who might not know what, what they do? They kind of run and set the pace and then almost just jump off to the inside of the track once they've done their job. Yeah, so it makes it a lot easier for that. Not easier because you're still running the pace, but it just takes the thinking out of it for the early part of the race. And um, if it's windy on the track or anything, they kind of block that for you. Uh, but so usually the number one seed in the race gets to say over the pace. Um, and a lot of the time they'll have their preferred pacemaker. So uh, Laura in Berlin, she pace made, um, we had a pacemaker for a K. And um, Laura had been the kind of informed athlete. She's British. Um, well, she's actually from Scotland, but she runs for the UK because it's under one banner. Um, and she'd been the informed athlete and they sourced out a pacemaker to come and race well we had a pacer for she was supposed to go 800 and she went 100 meters shorter um and then uh it was hannah's job to take us to a k and the kind of the goal is is that if they if they can't keep up the pace that's been requested they step off earlier um they would rather them step off earlier than run too slow kind of thing so they just set it up for us and take out the thinking so it was interesting in berlin because um Laura being the informed athlete, she kind of requested something a little different to what we're normally used to is um, usually want to run as even as possible. So the pacemaker's job would be to just run. You want to go through 800 in 208, go 64-64 for both laps. Um, But the goal in Berlin was to take the first pacemaker through 
800 in 208, 209. Um, and then she wanted 239 at 1K, which is a, a big kick down. Okay. Goes from running about 32 seconds per 200 to 30 flat. So that's a big move in the middle of a race. So they can really control the way the race goes. And if they get, get it right, um, it sets it up for a lot of women to have a really good day. Okay. And so do you know what the pacemaker is going to run before the race? Yeah. Yeah. So it's declared to the field, um, which I think is a, a bit of a piece to the COVID year that we've had this year is no races were really that tactical. A lot of them were um, set up to run really fast. So you'll get your chance to run fast outside of a championship usually. Um, and then when you go into a championship like the World Champs or the Olympic Games, there's no pacemakers. So it comes down to the the art of racing, but um, being able to kind of control as much as you can in these like one day meets um, allows you to run really fast. And a lot of the pacemakers are women that you would race on the circuit yourself normally, um, but they've just been requested to pace that day. So um, they'll get the job to pace and um, sometime a week or two later, they'll usually have the favor returned to them by someone else that was in the field. Uh-huh. So is yeah. it like a kind of I'll do one for you, you do one for me yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, oh, yeah kind interesting. of thing. So good karma. <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay, that's yeah. cool. That's cool to know. I was very interested about that one. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know as a female athlete whether you've experienced anything yourself growing up or as you've become professional and through the college experience, whether there's any anything that you felt, any inequalities you've experienced that you felt have, have impacted you or have you felt that maybe you that, that doesn't affect you a whole lot as a runner? Yeah, I think in – our sport, it's um, a little less prevalent because it's quite individual. So it's not, and it's not subjective. It's like you run the time or you don't basically. Um, and I think I've always had pretty good people around me who have kind of been like, you can do it too. Like uh, it's the same as like when you grow at different rates kind of thing. It's like, don't worry, like just be patient. Um, you'll catch up kind of thing. Uh, so I've been pretty lucky that way. I think my biggest difference was knowing, noticing in the NCAA, um, female coaches weren't as prominent um, and when they were in place, they probably weren't paid to what they were deserving of um, and it's been like a constant battle for them to kind of to get to that level. So I, I think my eyes were opened a bit more over in the US than um, what I've seen back here. But now I kind of am clued into a bit more like it, there probably isn't as many women in the sport in the leadership roles. Um, back in Australia as, as they could be. So hopefully that's going to be a, a generational change. And um, like you mentioned, Sally, before, like she's just stepped up into a role with Athletics Australia. And I think that's going to be a big one to go forward with. Um, she's got a lot of passion and definitely a wealth of experience that um, I'm hoping she can instill on the sport. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think across a whole range of sports, I'm hoping that we see that shift as well. Yeah. And And you've seen different athletes come through who've now had the chance to be professional, whereas a generation earlier, they might not have had that chance. So they've got the experience and the skills and the knowledge. And then I think it'd be great to see them actually have that opportunity to go into that role. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah that'd it's, be really cool. Finishing off, I've got three would you rather questions for Ooh, okay. you. Okay. These are interesting. I've listened to them. <laughs> okay. Number one, would you rather win gold in front of a packed stadium or an empty one with only your closest family and friends? I think 
definitely an empty one with your family and friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that it's more special when you're sharing it with like the people that know mm-hmm. how hard you work every day, yeah. which I was lucky in 2018 with everyone in the NCAs. Um, my teammates and my family were there. So yeah, I definitely family and friends anyway. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said before about with, with your dad and your coach saying, why not you? Yeah. I think that's a really cool approach to, to when you're going into your yeah. races. Yeah. Because you can't be beaten before you even start. So mm-hmm. you got to think you've got a chance. Yeah. I like that. Uh, number two, would you rather have to run a 1500 meter in ballet flats or Ugg boots? Oh, ballet flats. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's almost barefoot. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's close to barefoot. All right. Final one. If you had to run to a soundtrack for the rest of your life, would you rather run to death metal or to Friday by Rebecca Black? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Probably if death metal meant that you got different songs mm. yeah probably the death metal okay. i don't know if friday would get pretty old <laughs> and get old very quickly yeah. i reckon <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today where can people find you on socials probably on instagram is the most active that i am um and that's just jessica with two a's hull h-u-l-l i've i've loved having a chat and i've learned heaps as well about running and, and all about the pacemakers and i love your approach to your races and I can't wait to to watch you as you continue into Tokyo and then 2024 and 2028 and beyond. I think you've got a, um, a really, really exciting future ahead of you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chloe. And it's awesome to listen to the podcast. I've learned a lot about all the sports that you've interviewed so far. Diving and basketball, I didn't know they were so intricate. So it's been cool to to learn a bit along the way. Oh, thanks so much for listening. I really <laughs> appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. You can find us on Instagram at the Female Athlete Project.